You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. supremacy. We acknowledge your greatness, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your power in this hour. We acknowledge that you are greater in us than all the world has to offer. Oh Lord, we thank you that the storm may rage around us, but the storm doesn't have to be in us. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would just spring up inside of us and remind us in our inner man how great you really are. Again, glorify Jesus in my heart. Magnify the Son of God in my heart. Make him known in my inner man to that he is so awesome and amazing and there is nothing too hard for the Godhead. There is nothing too hard for Father God. There's nothing too hard for Jesus. There's nothing too hard for the Holy Spirit. So Lord God, we are so awesomely thankful, God, that we can cast all of our cares upon you. It is well with my soul because I let go of all my cares, all those weights, all those sins, all those things that entangle us. And Lord, we say it is well because you are here. It is well because you are with us. And if God be for us, Yes, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? We thank you. Fight that battle for us. Fight that battle for us, Lord. In our nation, Fight that battle for us, Lord. It's too big for us. We can't do it, but you can. Fight that battle, Lord. Release your angels. Release Holy Spirit. Release the light that banners the darkness into submission. Oh, demolish that dark thing, oh Lord God. And let light radiate throughout our land. Let light radiate in your church. That we will be bearers of your light, oh God. Here we are. Holy Spirit, fill us up one more time. We come back for more, Lord God. We want more, Holy Spirit. We want more of you than ever before. We want to worship the Lord God in spirit and truth. So we're asking for more. We desire, we hunger, we thirst, we long for more of you. This is our cry. This is our desire. This is our time. God, thank you right now. Thank you. into this faith atmosphere 
Just tap into this faith atmosphere right now for where you're at. Just tap into that and ask Jesus to come and rest upon that area of hurt, that area of pain, that area of desire, that area of your dreams, that area of discouragement, that area of disappointment, and let Jesus land on that for you. Let Holy Spirit just go over top of that and just begin to work all things together for your good as you love him and as you are walking in the call according to his purposes. This is your time. Tap into the faith realm. It is here available for all. For through it all, his eyes are on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I get into the sermon, it's going to invite you to stand this morning, and we're going to uh, just kind of, again, as an affirmation of our faith, um, these are as a uh, part of a teaching that Jesus gave uh, called the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. And the interesting thing about that teaching is um, it was given to very common, ordinary, um, many there may have been really uneducated um, and it really was to these people that Jesus was really seeking to bring the kingdom of God into their midst. And I love this because it really was intended to be communicated uh, to people who really didn't maybe understand or know a lot because the truths in here are so simple, and yet they are uh, very, very profound uh, in their nature. So I'm just going to invite you to join me as we just speak this out. Uh, again, this is uh, what we, how we define ourselves as being blessed or um, in uh, connection uh, with God. So join with me. How blessed am I? What happiness comes to me when I feel my spiritual poverty and realize my deep, desperate need for you, Lord, for then the kingdom of heaven is mine. How blessed am I when morning comes to me, for then I shall be comforted. How blessed am I when gentleness and humility live within me, for then I shall inherit the earth. How blessed am I when I hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for then I shall be satisfied. How blessed am I when I demonstrate tender mercy, for then I will be shown mercy. How blessed am I when my heart is pure, for then my eyes will be opened to see more and more of God. How blessed am I when I pursue peace, for then I will be a true child of God. How blessed am I when I bear the wounds of being persecuted for doing what is right, for that is when I experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How blessed am I when people mock me and persecute me and lie about me and say all sorts of evil things against me simply because I am a follower of Jesus. I will leap for joy and be glad, for a great reward awaits me in heaven. I am reminded that the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives bright light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, I will let my good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise my heavenly Father. Amen, and so be it. You may be seated. I love that. Man, there's a lot of great stuff uh, in there about what it looks like to really walk as a blessed uh, child of God. Last week, we kind of started a, a sermon where I was kind of talking about uh, two kings out of 1 Samuel chapter 24. And one of those kings uh, was the actual king of Israel at that time, King Saul. The other king, David, was a king in waiting. As a matter of fact, David had been anointed uh, by God to be the next king of Israel. But he had to wait 15 years between the time that he was anointed and the time that he would actually ascend uh, to be the next king of Israel. 15 years. Can you imagine waiting 15 years? If you were elected, say, president of the United States, and you had to wait 15 years before you could actually take that position. Talk about incredible patience and self-control and perseverance that David had to have in order to wait for that opportunity to come. And in between those 15 years, a lot happened between Saul and David. And we talked a little bit about that last week. At one point, you remember, David goes from being this very cherished musician in, in King Saul's court to becoming a hunted fugitive that Saul wanted to kill. And David really didn't do anything to warrant that kind of a response from King Saul. This conflict between King Saul and David goes on for 10 long years. Stop and think about that. Can you imagine someone hunting you, someone seeking to actively kill you for 10 years? I mean, think about how you would constantly be looking over your shoulder, never knowing what may come next. And through all of that, those 15 years of waiting, those 10 years of being hunted, David had to make choices in how he was going to respond to Saul's attempts. And the same is true of us, right? In every circumstance, in every situation we find ourselves, therein lies a choice of how am I going to respond? How am I going to act towards this situation, this person? And so last week we talked about that there were three positions that David took in his response to Saul. Three positions that David took in the circumstances that were before him in life. And we talked about that first position that David took was that position of integrity. And we talked last week that David had an opportunity to end this 10-year conflict this 10-year search-and-destroy mission that Saul was on. And David is given this prime opportunity to just take Saul out, to kill Saul, and to end this whole 10-year hunt 
in a cave in En Gedi. And instead of killing Saul, David chooses to send a message to King Saul, basically saying, I want you to know, Saul, I had the chance to take you out, and I chose not to. And all he does is he cuts off a corner of King Saul's robe. But I want you to notice David's response to what he did there in verse 5. And we talked a little bit about this last week. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken, meaning he experienced conviction from God over what he did. And so David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And again, David feels conviction. He feels remorse over what he had done. And David comes to see and to understand that what he was doing against King Saul, ultimately he was doing against God. And all sin, all rebellion, no matter who it may be directed at, all sin, all rebellion is first and foremost against God. David understood that. Psalm 105, verse 15, as well as 1 Chronicles 16, 22 says, Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. David was aware of that. David understood that. And at this point in time, King Saul is still God's anointed king of Israel. He is still God's appointed king of Israel. And, and David knew to come against Saul would be to come against God himself. And even though Saul is acting very ungodly, he's not acting like the king that he should be or could be, it does not give David justification to retaliate in any way. And you see this in David's response there in verse 6. David said to his men, those that were around him, those that were watching his actions, David said to them, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Again, he may not have been acting like the anointed of the Lord, but David recognized his place, his position before God. No matter how much Saul may have deserved to be killed, David knows to do so would be a violation of God's word. And while David's men, they're kind of looking at David, they're looking and they're weighing what other options they had, the pros and cons, David was only looking at one thing. He's only considering one thing, what is right in the eyes of of God. As I said last week, integrity, that is the quality or state of being complete or undivided. And David's integrity before the Lord was that he was completely undivided. He was completely devoted in his relationship and in his obedience to God. I love this statement that Brene Brown uh, says about integrity. She says, integrity is choosing Courage over comfort. Choosing what is right over what is fun, fast, and easy. And choosing to practice our values rather than simply professing them. So true. Abraham Lincoln once responded to a man who asked him which side of humanity God was on. 
Lincoln replied, sir, my concern is not whether God is on my side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Biblical integrity calls us to be on God's side, and David chose to position himself before God with integrity. He models that for us, and we need to do the same as well. Second position that David takes is the position of respect. There's another thing that kind of kept David from taking revenge against Saul, and we see that in how he addresses King Saul. There in verse 6, he calls Saul, my master, the Lord's anointed. He goes on in another verse uh, to say, my Lord, the king. In verse 14, he calls him the king of Israel. In so doing, David was referring not just to the person, but more importantly, the position of Saul. That's what he was respecting. That's what he was choosing to acknowledge was the, was the position that Saul held, the position before God that he held, and not so much the person or the actions of King Saul. And again, you can respect the person and disagree with their position on any particular issue or situation. Dave and Brian would know this as Marines. There was a saying that the Marine Corps has, you don't salute the person, you salute the rank. In other words, you don't honor the person, you honor the position. And I think this is a lesson all of us Americans need to relearn. And we need to reapply this when it comes to the office of the President of the United States. You cannot disrespect the person that holds the office of the President of the United States without disrespecting the office of the President of the United States. And that goes for whoever holds the office, regardless of whether he or she is a Democrat or a Republican. Obviously, it is easier to respect the person, the position of the office of the United States President if you voted for him. Anyone can do that. It takes no real courage, takes no real special gift to respect someone that you agree with. But it takes character, takes self-discipline, it takes self-control, it takes respect, it takes integrity to respect and honor that person, especially when they're not someone you voted for that maybe you agree with or you maybe don't even like. One of the things that David did, and one of the things I'm committed to do, and would ask you as a congregation to commit yourselves to as well, that regardless of who becomes the next president of the United States, that we are going to honor and we are going to respect not just that office of the president, but the person who holds it. And I know there's a lot out there right now I know there's a lot of division. I know that there's a lot of animosity. I know there's a lot of frustration. And I know there are times where we maybe have spoken in our frustration, maybe our disappointment, our anger, that maybe things aren't going the way we wanted it to go. 
But what David saw in his situation with Saul was God was still in control. God is the one that needs to be honored and respected here first and foremost. And everything flows from that place, from that position. So I, for one, know that if, if uh, Biden does become the next president, I am not going to stoop to the level of other people and, and denigrate him. I may disagree with his positions, but I don't have to attack the person. That is a lesson I think we all need to relearn and to reapply as citizens of the United States and as David modeled this for his men, so I and leaders here in our congregation, we've got to model this for one another. We've got to hold one another accountable for the way that we speak to, the way we speak about those that God has put in authority over us. We pray for them. We pray for the positions that they take that may affect us in, in a good way and maybe in a bad way. We pray for them that God would change their heart that God would help them to see things maybe through a biblical lens, to be able to change their position, to move them more and more in accordance and in will uh, with God's plans and purposes for our nation. I was born in June of 1961. It was the same year John F. Kennedy was president of the United States. Kennedy was assassinated in November of 1963, and I don't exactly remember when, but I think it was like sometime well into the 1970s, uh, well far beyond after Kennedy's assassination, that you would begin to hear rumors and details, names of all of the affairs that uh, JFK had as president. Now what's interesting is the media was all very, very much aware of all of these salacious details as they were happening. But out of respect for the office of the President of the United States, you just didn't talk about those things. Those things were not reported because people held the office of the presidency in such high regard and no one wanted to sully that institution. And it wasn't just presidents that Americans once highly respected, but school teachers as well. I remember coming home from school many times complaining about something that the teacher said or did that I didn't like or I didn't think was fair. And my parents would always take the side of the teacher. It always made me so mad and, and frustrated Not because what I said wasn't true. There was just always such a high level of respect for the profession of teaching. Like I said, it would make me so mad and it would frustrate me. But looking back on that now, I understand that. I, I saw what my parents were doing, what they were modeling for me. I don't think most of us could be paid enough to be a teacher nowadays because of the level of disrespect that is directed toward teachers, and not just from students, but we see this a lot even with parents. 
One of our founding fathers, the second president of the United States, John Adams, was writing to someone who was worried about the beginning of the nation and what kind of a future might be in store for America. John Adams always felt the future was exceedingly dangerous. And he said this, there is one thing, my dear sir, that must be attempted and most sacredly observed or we are all undone. There must be decency and respect and veneration introduced for persons of authority of every rank or we are undone. In a popular government, this is our only way. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is the willingness to come under reasonable, and I emphasize that, reasonable authority, even though you may not always agree with the way that authority always acts. David knew that Saul was still the king of Israel, and as long as he was, David was still under the king's authority, and with that came the respect, the honor it deserved. Let me emphasize something. As long as we are not being coerced to sin against God, to go against God's command, being a follower of Jesus includes submitting to and praying for all who govern and are in authority over us. When we faithfully do this, and I would say when we do this with joy, the children of God's kingdom will be known as the most refreshing citizens of earthly kingdoms, no matter who is in charge. This was true in biblical times, and I believe it can be true now. New Testament Christians, if you go back and look and study the early church, many Christians were routinely marginalized. They were persecuted. Many were put to death by the Roman state, even in that climate, honoring, respecting, and cooperating with and praying for the Roman officials was part of what it meant to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter, who would be later executed by Rome, hung upside down for his Christian faith, said that in all circumstances, Christians must honor the king. The apostle Paul, who, who would also be martyred by the decree of the Roman Caesar, said every Christian must submit to and pray for governing authorities. David refused to speak negatively about Saul. Why? Because God, for only reasons God knew, wanted Saul to be king for a time, for that time, for that season. And out of respect, to God, David gave respect to Saul. When we respect and honor those God has placed in authority over us, we are, in a sense, honoring and respecting God. So we take that position of respect. We take that position of integrity. The third position that David took was a position of humility. Now you want to talk about going the second and third mile here. David does the unthinkable. David kind of does the unimaginable. At first it was Saul who's kind of in that most vulnerable position. 
And David flips the table and he puts himself in a very vulnerable position voluntarily, willingly. Look at verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and he called to Saul, my lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed and was prostrated with his face to the ground. David bows down. Lays flat out with his face to the ground. And he's basically exposing. And he's, he's making his life vulnerable to Saul. He's kind of laying his life on the line before Saul. And Saul could now do to him what David would not do to Saul. So why is David humbling himself before a man who is so obviously in Uh, uh, out of God's will. Go back and read verse six one more time. He said to his men, again, he's modeling for his men. He's showing his men, here is how you act. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. It was God who anointed King Saul over Israel. It was God who appointed Saul king over Israel. And David not only honored that position of authority, he honored the power behind the place from where authority all comes from, and that is God. There is no power. There is no ultimate authority unless God first establishes it. David wasn't just bowing down to Israel's king. He was bowing down to the king of Israel. There's a saying, if you see a turtle on a fence post, he didn't get there by himself. Whether a ruler, a president, a king realizes it or not, behind every ruler, behind every authority, behind every power, there is God. He is always behind the power in any power. As a great communicator once put it, you do not replace what God has put in place. That is to say, you do not dethrone that which God has enthroned. David was humbling himself under God. If God is the one who puts him in, then God is the one who will have to take him out. The spirit of humility that David chooses to walk in And again, this is a choice we make. It is not something that God is going to force on you. It is a choice we have to make. We have to submit to. We have to cooperate with God in what he is doing. And look there at verse 15. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Man, that is humility. That is trusting God to do what God can do. Pride is when you take matters into your own hands. Humility is when you trust matters into God's hands. When you return evil for evil, you take matters into your own hands. But when you give good, you return good for evil, knowing you can trust matters into God's hand. Our job is not to get even with anyone. It's not to retaliate against anyone. 
but to stay ahead of them, to stay above them in God's presence. Even Saul realized that is exactly what David did. I want you to notice Saul's response to all of this in verse 17. Saul began to cry. And he said to David, you are a better man than I am. For you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Do you realize what Saul just said to David? Saul said, I tried to drag you down to my level and now I know I really just need to come up to your level. I want you to hear the next statement very clearly. Someone may choose to be your enemy, but you don't have to choose to be their enemy. Someone may choose to come after you, but you don't have to choose to go back after them. David was Saul's enemy. or David was Saul's enemy, but David... Saul was David's enemy, sorry, but David was not Saul's enemy. This is a story about a man who was being treated like a criminal, but he acted like a king, versus a man who was a king, but he was acting like a criminal. The whole point of the story was not what David could have done to Saul, but what David did to and for God. Humility is making you get out of the way so God can get in the way. That's humility. Humility is, is you not dealing with it. Humility is you letting God deal with it. And I close with this. Think about this. Everything we have said about David was true it's truth on steroids when it comes to Jesus. Jesus always did the right thing. Jesus always did the honorable thing. Jesus always did the respectful thing. He honored the principle of integrity. He modeled the principle of integrity. He honored the position of authority, and he gives the utmost of respect. Jesus always takes the position of humility. He always models the position of humility because even at the cross, he didn't take things into his own hands, but rather he commended himself, his life, his mission, his plans, his purposes. He put all of that into the hands of God and said, not my will be done, but your will be done be done. That is the ultimate position of humility. With the Jesus that lives in us, we can do likewise, especially to our enemies. Let's stand together.
Father, we just thank you, Lord, that in a time right now where our country just seems so divided, where there just seems to be so much animosity, anger, and frustration. And God, at times, it's so easy to get pulled into all of that, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's in conversations with family and friends, Lord, it's just so easy to get pulled into a very negative and very divisive conversations. And God, in so many ways, we just need to be able to surrender ourselves to take those positions, those positions of integrity, of respect, of just humility. And God, it's from those three places that I really believe we can begin to bring about godly change. It's from those positions, God, that we can really begin to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see this so clearly in the life of Jesus. We hear this so clearly in his calling to be his disciple. And we see that this is not a power that we have in and of ourselves. It is only a position we can take. It is only a power that we can display through the power of the presence of the living Christ in us and through us. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just again come upon our hearts Enthrone yourself upon our hearts in such a way that we would begin to walk and to talk, to think and to act like Jesus in any and every circumstance. That our heart would be your heart. That your words would be our words. Your actions would be our actions. That the kingdom that we really long to see come upon this earth would not be the kingdom of man, but the kingdom of God. And Lord, you have chosen us specifically to be the people through whom that kingdom would come. And God, may we take that responsibility seriously. May we be consistent in that place, in that position of being your ambassadors upon the earth, that we would model what it really means to follow you, to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would just continue to lead us and to guide us that, Lord, when you bring us into situations, God, where there's great conflict and turmoil, that we can bring the peace of Christ into that. The Father, where there are, are times of just great animosity, that the joy of the Lord can be our strength. And that we can infuse and we can bring the joy of Jesus into those places. 
That, God, where there would be places of persecution, God, that we could be those peacemakers, that we could bring peace into those situations. That's what it means to be a follower, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, that wherever we go, the kingdom of God shows up in signs and wonders. And I believe that is who you're calling your body to be. I believe that is what you're empowering your body to do, is to be the hands and the feet, the voice, the mind of Jesus, Father. We thank you for that. And fathers, we turn to your word, Lord. We thank you, Father, that there are so many examples of people who were in very, very difficult situations, were in very hostile environments, who were under great persecution, and yet, God, you showed how your kingdom could and would work through them. So, Father, we long to be your disciples. We long to be those who are dispensers of your kingdom wisdom, of your kingdom love, of your kingdom grace and mercy. And God, right now, the world is so ready. It is so needed. It is so necessary. The Father, we ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come upon this earth in and through us. Begin with us. Begin in this place, begin in this church, begin in this city, and God, that it may outflow. Father, again, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to bring justice to this election process. God, that you would begin to bring integrity into every part of this election process. That those who win would win graciously, and those who would lose would lose graciously. That, God, there be no more division. There be no more hatred. That, God, in its place, you would begin to sow peace (coughs) and unity and justice, Father. And again, Lord, I thank you for your power and your presence in this place in us. And God, would you be with us as we go forward, as we walk in the word, as we live the word. We pray, Father, that that would just come in big ways, Father. That it would change, that it would challenge hearts, Father, to do the same. And so God, use us. Use us as instruments of your grace, instruments of your mercy, instruments of your justice. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm just going to invite you as we kind of close this morning. Uh, there is communion available up here on the table. And as we kind of just end our worship time uh, this morning again, it was through the blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ that he was able to bring peace where sin had sowed so much discord. Where sin had broken us, Jesus sought through his body and blood to bring healing, to bring forgiveness, to bring restoration. And so as we come and we partake of that, we become linked with that. 
we become partakers of that. And then we go and we begin to dispense what it is that we have partaken of. We begin to give what we have received. Jesus said, this is love. If you receive it as love, then we need to give it. We need to live it as love. This is love that a man would lay down his life for his friends. So as you come and you receive that, allow God to just infuse, to fill you with his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, so that what we have, we're able to give. What we've received, we're able to share. So I invite you just to come in that frame of mind. Jesus said, whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Jesus modeled for us what it meant to walk in the kingdom of God, to walk powerfully in the kingdom of God. And I want to walk powerfully in the kingdom of God. Do you? Yes. So Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Live like I live. So this invites you as you feel ready, as you feel God leading you this morning as we close in worship, just to come and to take that this morning. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.